Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church and its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to redchurch.org.au. My name's Britt, if I haven't met you yet. I'm on staff here. And as Daniel said, we're in a series called The Vision, um, which is really us looking at what has God been doing with us? What has he been kind of changing and shaping us as a church community? And then what does that mean for where we're going? I feel like we're getting glimpses and touches of things. And so we're like, let's highlight that and look at it and be like, actually, God, how do we continue to explore that and submit to you in that? Um, today, I get to talk to you about community, which is fun and an enormous topic. Let's be real. So I've spent the week thinking about, God, what do you actually want to say and what are you already doing? And I was really... Um, Yeah, really thankful that I got to sit in Ephesians. I encourage you to sit in that book. It is beautiful. There's only six chapters, but it's very rich. And so we're going to look at community um, as Paul talks about it in Ephesians. And it's so important for us to understand the context of that time, but also our context right now. I was really shocked. Not long ago, I went to a party at a friend's house. And this particular party was mixed with people from all different places. Some followers of Jesus, majority not. Um, and from all over Melbourne. And I found myself really shocked by the conversation we were having because it didn't feel like a conversation. It felt like a combative argument, and I've never felt it so strongly before because we're midway chatting and someone's having an opinion about their uh, gender, someone else is putting forward their political thought, someone else is feeling like they felt cut under by the other person's comment on their identity, and I was like, whoa. It felt like it was like this little battle of like, I'm going to put this shield out and step away. And it was just like this disconnect. And I was like, wow, I actually feel a bit, like I was looking forward to coming to a party and meeting with people. And if anything, I feel like I've been pushed away. And I was like, wow, Melbourne, our culture has become quite toxic. It's really disordered and distorted the sense of community. We're so used to hearing what we aren't for, what we disagree about, or so busy putting our own opinions forward, we don't recognise that we're actually pushing people away, but concurrently, you feel it, I feel it, inside, outside the church, we are desperate for community. Something wrong with that equation. So that's our context. I think one of the best lines, Mark said it last week, you do you. That's literally, you do you. That is what we're saying to one another. Again, it's a pushing away, it's a defense instead of actually, I don't fully agree or understand where you're coming from, but I see you and I want to know you and so I'm going to come towards you. We're in this uh, culture, we live in it, majority of our week is spent in it, depending on what, wherever you work, it's a part of it. And this happens inside the church as well. But I want to look at what is God saying, what has he taught us, what he's shown us, what has he offered us? Of community. It's a word that's used a lot, but we don't really understand it. It's distorted. We kind of we grasp at it. We hope for it. I want to look at the beginning, you know, the book of the Bible. It's so important to understand that narrative and the big story. At the beginning, if you've ever noticed in Genesis, Adam is made, God makes Adam, and he is alone, it says in the text. The funny thing about that is realizing that's before the fall. Adam is alone or feels alone in paradise in company with God. What does that mean? (laughs) It means you and I, that feeling that we have for community, one is 
very visceral and real because it's been there since the beginning of creation. Vidicule means that we do need community. What does God do? He creates Eve. And then the three of them are in this beautiful relationship, God and Adam and Eve. And if we think about it, we're following a God who's highly relational. Our God is not someone who sits in a temple who is made of stone. He's relational to his very core because he is one in three. He lives in community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we're designed to live with him in community and to live with others, right? We know this. We also know what happens in the Bible in Genesis, and there is division because the enemy comes and speaks a lie of distrust to Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve make a choice to try and reach for what they think is needed, and in that moment they're divided from God, but then also divided from each other. So division comes. The enemy brings division. And so we see the rest of the narrative of the Bible is God bringing back that unity. In Ephesians 1.10 it says, his intention is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So we live on the other side of Jesus' death and resurrection. He's king and lord of all, above all things, all things in heaven and on earth. He reigns. And as we come to him, as we live through him, he brings unity to all things. That's what we're partnering in. That's actually one of our major job descriptions as a followers of Jesus. That's what we're designed to do. So God, is, he's got that narrative of going along. And if you're here and if you're a follower of Jesus, this is your story. You're a part of that. And we need it, right? We're seeing divisions on a number of levels. Globally, we're looking at it in Gaza. That is division. The Ukraine and Russia. We're not only seeing that, we see that in tribes, but also we see it in our families. We see it in our churches. We see it in marriages. We see it with children and their parents. That's the enemy whispering, the father of lies. But Jesus has overcome that, and as followers of Jesus, we are designed, we are called, and we are equipped to walk in the opposite direction to bring unity. We need there to be a difference, and our hearts cry for it. And so let's explore Ephesians and what it says about that. Just a little bit of context. It's always helpful when you're reading a book of the Bible to understand who it was originally written to, to help you read it and work out well, who, who are they, who's it addressed to. So the book of Ephesians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. He wrote it about two years after spending a bunch, not two years, sorry, he spent two years in Ephesus with a bunch of new Christians and then wrote it when he was in Rome in prison. Now, the thing about Ephesus is it's this huge city with basically the most worship of Roman and Greek gods. So there are temples everywhere and there's just a bunch of idol worship happening, there are prostitutes in the temple, there are all these different servants that kind of engage in this worship. And so Paul's ministering to a community of followers of Jesus in that context. And so when he writes this letter, he's writing to a group of people and the church in Ephesus looks quite mixed. So sitting in the room, you've got people who have come from the Greek understanding of what it means to worship and live, Roman, you've got the Jews, but you've also got slaves and their masters sitting side by side in the same room. And so it's a real beautiful collective of different people, just as we are now. 
we are from all different places, whether we've grown up here in Australia or outside of it, whether you come having grown up in the church or outside of it, whether you're male or female, able, disabled, whatever label you have received out there or whatever else defines us here, you come together and we are addressed as one. This is a different space. And this is what Paul is writing about and writing to the group there. So let's keep that in mind as we read it. This book is broken down, I'll just say this last thing, broken down into basically two sections. In Ephesians 1 to 4, 1 to 3, sorry, Paul is basically retelling the gospel narrative. He's looking at the, the cosmic perspective and significance of what God has done. So he kind of retells it in 1 to 3, and then in 4 to 6, he's like, so, or therefore, which you'll know really well in Ephesians, or Paul, he's just like, so I've said all that, we know that, cool, now... This is how you live in light of that. This is what it means for your life. This is what it means for your community. So we're going to look at both parts. How are we feeling? Good. I'm going to pause here because I can tell you stuff about Ephesians. We can look at all this, but there's actually no point unless God's in and through this. So I'd love to just stop and give him our full attention and ask him to speak to us as we open up Ephesians and explore this more. So why don't you, if you feel comfortable, close your eyes. We're just going to pray a prayer, open up your hands. And we're going to invite Holy Spirit to move and Lord Jesus to come and reveal to us. So if you feel comfortable saying it out loud, you can also say it in your heart. Just repeat after me. Holy Spirit, may you reveal Lord Jesus to me and to those around me. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Ephesians 2, 14 to 18 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit." Paul is summarizing the gospel here. What I really want to point out, there's so much here, is at the end of verse 16, Jesus, and what he's done, has brought reconciliation, it says there, reconciling both of them to God through the cross. His purpose was to create a new humanity, Adam and Eve, again. Jesus on the cross, his death and resurrection, has brought a new humanity so we're no longer divided as we were in the garden. It's changed. And I think the other thing that's really important to note here, and thank you to the Bible Project for pointing this out to me, the second half of verse 16, he put to death their hostility. Who put Jesus on the cross? Genuine question. Yeah? We did, that's true, yep. Historically, who <laughs> put Jesus on the cross? The Romans and the Jews. 
And yes, we in our sin do that as well. But what I see in this passage and what Paul is writing is that God, Jesus doesn't go after the Romans or the Jews. He goes right after the hostility between them. He absorbs that on the cross and he doesn't respond in hostility. The hostility dies with him there. And so it is with us as we approach and come to him at that. He absorbs it, it dies with him there, and then he offers community again and reconciliation. I think that's powerful to realize. He put death to hostility. So whenever the enemy comes in for division, which he tries to, he's the father of lies, he wants to divide us constantly. Jesus stands in authority against that and says, no, I come and I break that division and that hostility, I absorb it and I bring people together. And do you know what? We're little Christs, so we're designed to do that. To who? We're called to do that. This is this gospel story. We know it. We're designed to live in it. We're designed to hear it over and over again, and we need to. And it's something that is outside of us. It is a gift that has been given to us. And so what actually unifies us in this? What is our common unity? It's Jesus. It's him. His ability to do that. It's God's heart for us. In Ephesians 4, 4 to 6, remember Paul's saying now this is what it means. Our common union. What do we have in common? There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all all. That is our unity. Not how you view politics right now. Not whether you're left or right. Not whether you decided to wear jeans today or shorts. (laughs) What knits you together right now in this room is the one that you follow. The spirit that's within you. The father that you sit under. The Jesus that you maybe are yet to know or desire to know more of or have returned to understand again what it means to follow him. Our commonality in that is what equals our community. It feels obvious, but sometimes it's important to come back to that. This is why Paul says it in such a clear way, one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. That is what unifies us. The second half of that passage in chapter 4 says that he handed out gifts of apostles, prophet, evangelist, and pastor teacher to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son, fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive like Christ. The church is designed to serve, servant work. That's what all those gifts are designed for. People that are called to be apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists, it's to serve others. The church represents that. That's what we're made up, a people of service. And what I really want to highlight in this section is that I love the wording. This is a message version. Moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son. 
Our commonality in our response to God's son is what equals community. Again, not different opinions, not liking the same bands or having the same thing in common. Those things are great in that sense, but actually it's our response to Jesus that builds community. And I'll look at that a little bit deeper. Let's break it down. We are unified by coming to Jesus, by coming to him. Again, in Ephesians 2, 8 to 9, I said we're going to explore it. We really are. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. Your salvation is a gift. Everyone in this room that is following Jesus, that is exploring what it means to follow Jesus, when you accept that, when you come before him, it says in Ephesians 1, 3, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. When you believed that message, you were marked. And it's almost as if, as if visually, if you think about it, we all come to Jesus to receive that gift. And so inevitably, like if we're running to him, we're going to run into each other. That is your community. You're all going to arrive at the same point. You will all be connected because you all need this gift. Each one of us needs it because we did put him on the cross. And we know that we actually can't do this life without him and without his sacrifice and his salvation. We're unified by coming to him. And it doesn't matter where you come from. When you arrive at Jesus, the gift is the same. Whether you've come as a child, maybe you're returning, having walked away. Maybe you're coming as an adult. Maybe you're coming as someone who has grown up in a different culture, who never knew who Jesus was. Remember, it doesn't matter where you come from. The gift is the same, male, female, Jew, Gentile, Australian, Indian, able, disabled, tall, short, young, old, you're all arriving to receive the same gift. And that is what unifies you. You are unified by coming to him. And you know what the most beautiful thing is? I love the way God works. Because he is community himself and desired relationship with us, that's why he made us, because he's like, I'm loving hanging out with like the three of us, but there could be more. How great. I'm going to make some humans so there's more of us to celebrate. And he says that he made us in our image. We are also wanting that community. And the deeper we spend time with God, the deeper we spend time in that community of the Trinity, sitting with him, praying to him, trusting him, surrendering to him, it actually deepens our capacity to commune with others. There's something to that with him and with others. It grows. It's like this beautiful connection and circular nature of time with God opens you up to time with others. So we are unified by coming to him. I also just want to say, and I felt prompted and I'm preparing for this. So there may be people in the room here who feel like they don't actually belong or they don't have a place. And whether that's in red church or whether that's in your family or your smaller community, I just want to say that you actually do, that Lord Jesus has died for you and the gift is the same for you. And I just want to say and proclaim right now that you are a son or a daughter of the king and you have a place in his family. And there are people alongside you in this moment. You may not know their name, but they stand with you and they say, I'm your brother and I'm your sister. 
and I see you and I belong to the same God. I believe Jesus is standing before you right now, saying you belong to me, welcome to my family. And I also just want to say there's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. This isn't a one-time membership in this family. He's stuck with you. You're stuck with him, and it's good. So we're unified by coming to him, and we're unified by living for him. If you've ever noticed, a lot of your friends or relationships outside of your family unit, you often build friendship by having a common goal. So whether that's sports or some sort of activity or hobby you do, or even something that you're fighting for and standing alongside. Again, culturally, we're really good at fighting for something, but we get caught up in that rather than realizing the joy of actually being alongside one another in that. As followers of Jesus, we are unified by one God, one spirit, one Lord, one Father, one story. And if God is bringing unity to heaven and earth under Jesus, then we are unified by standing alongside one another, participating in that reconciliation. That can be mission in a global sense, traveling to another part of the world and sharing the gospel alongside others. That could be in a smaller sense, where you gather with your friends and you pray for your neighborhood. You are participating in the unity of heaven and earth and of Jesus. That actually brings community. The result is up to him, but the power is going, God, we stand alongside one another because we want to say, you, speak into your story, live into your story, and therefore be united by that. It's like a community is often a byproduct. We try and grab at it as if it's the main thing, but it's not. And what happens when Adam and Eve grabbed for something? It's a gift. We step into it. It is given to us. As soon as we try to grasp it, that is often when it's distorted or it goes or it makes it about us. So we are unified by living for him. It says in Ephesians 3.10 that his intent was that now, so now after Jesus has risen, through the church, that's us, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Friends, when you gathered here this morning, you are taking a stand in the spiritual realm. When you sang and declared that Jesus is King and Lord of all, you are speaking against the darkness. You have taken up arms this morning in the spirit. And you've done that by being present alongside others. This is what the church is designed to do. When we gather as a people, it speaks to the spiritual realm. And what a gift that we can. Do you, I know, like, I've grown up in the eastern suburbs majority of my life, in the west. I've not considered the privilege it is to turn up on a Sunday in freedom. The importance of having people sit alongside me being like, hey, Britt, keep going on. Jesus is with you. Let me pray for you. Let me sit with you. It is a gift to be in this room right now and to be able to do that. And there are places around the world right now where we cannot. Other followers cannot do that. What a privilege. And the thing is, you didn't have to think about being united this morning. There was already a spiritual element to it. You've already said following yes that you'll follow Jesus. Maybe today's a day you're exploring that. But you're stepping into a reality that's already known. It's that gift that you participate in. It's kind of like this beautiful mystery. 
But that is the church. We are designed to do that. And I think most recently for me, I felt it really profoundly when we had the 24-7 prayer gathering. If you were there, you may have noticed it in a different way. But the worship was incredible. And do you know what? There were people that were turning up. I was on ushering, and I do not recognize majority of the people that came through, which was also really fun. Because I was like, wow, you're a brother or sister living in Victoria or around Australia, and I've just not met you yet. Amazing. It's like a big family reunion in a way. Weirdly. But I was standing alongside people in worship, and I've never felt so united to people I literally didn't know. Because we were all focused on Jesus. What was our common goal? To see prayer and his kingdom come in this nation. That was unity. That's what community, our common unity, looks like. What a privilege to have seen that recently. And I believe there's more. Remember, this is a vision series. That's just the beginning. I think God's doing more. And he's saying, well, you partner with me in that. Okay, the final one. So we're unified by living for him, by coming to him, and we're unified through him. Now, this one is probably the harder one. This is the one that we opt out of quite often. And our culture has done us a disservice because it tells us when it gets hard to escape. But actually, as it said in Ephesians 2.14, as we read earlier, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. We're unified by coming, by, sorry, we're unified through him when we come to him realizing that we have fallen short. When we have encountered that hostility, not just towards him, but towards the other. In community, we are gonna run into things and to people that we don't agree with. We're gonna have struggles, we're gonna have wrestles, we're gonna have disappointments. Things will be said that we wish we hadn't said. And it is at that point we have a choice. And again, our culture's like, get out. But actually, this is one of the most profound declarations of community and what it means to follow Jesus when you choose to remain and learn as Jesus did, to absorb the hostility, empowered by Holy Spirit to do that, which he has given us, and not return it with hostility, but actually return it with love and peace and the kingdom. Jesus said that they will know us by how we love one another. Jesus also said, one of the greatest things you can do for a friend is to lay down your life. And so I want to invite you to realize, and again, I say this of myself too, community is a discipline. It's a discipline to go, do you know what? God, I'm going to have to come to you. I'm going to have to pray and ask for forgiveness and ask you to help me forgive those who have come against me. And I want to choose to walk in your way and learn what it means, Lord Jesus, to absorb the hostility, which is really Jesus absorbing it. He does that. He's forever done it. He's proclaimed it. Everything under heaven and earth is coming under his rule. Remember? Ephesians 1.10. And so when you're doing this, you're stepping into that spiritual reality and saying, no, I choose life, freedom, joy, peace, and reconciliation. And it's going to be a bit difficult. Let's be honest. Sometimes our heart's like, I don't really feel that. But we're actually called to be greater than our feelings and operate outside of that and say, I still choose to take a step towards the person even though I don't know how to do this. Holy Spirit, help me. 
This is sanctification. That sense of being made holy, being shaped like Jesus. I think sometimes we think about Jesus being put on the cross, yes, by the Jews and the Romans, but also who also let him down in that moment? His friends, people that he had invested in, loved, encouraged, sat alongside. And you know what I love when you look at when he's risen, the conversation when he meets with them in the Gospels, it isn't like, you left me. He comes to them and and he greets them and he loves them. That hostility is not there because it died with him. And he comes back and he sees them and he builds relationship. Peter, will you love me? We are called to model that. We are little Christs and he has empowered us to do it. Now, there is something about community that speaks to the depths of us. I've talked about that. And there's this like desire and heart and really something that we really, really want. And I, I think it would, I'd be doing you a disservice not to talk about some of the foils of that. But instead of me saying it, I'm going to allow Dietrich Bonhoeffer to say it. I was reading in preparation for this sermon, his book on life together, a really good read. So let's read this together. The serious Christian set down for the first time in a Christian community is likely to bring with him a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be and try to realize it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate, with ourselves. (laughs) By sheer grace, God will not permit us to live even for a brief period in a dream world. He does not abandon us to those rapturous experiences and lofty moods that come over us like a dream. God is not a God of the emotions, but God of truth. God is not a God of the emotions, but the God of truth. Only that fellowship which faces such disillusionment with its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to be what it should be in God's sight, begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given to it. Because God has already laid the only foundation of our fellowship, because God has bound us together in one body with other Christians in Jesus Christ long before we entered into common life with them. We entered into that common life not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. We thank God for giving us brethren who live by his call, by his forgiveness and his promise. It's pretty sobering reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer. (laughs) often, (laughs) but we need to hear that. Sometimes we want community to look a certain way, our way. But will we willingly say, oh, actually, you're always better, God? And as he talked about, we're bound together already. We don't have to force it. Will we receive it? Will we step into something that already exists and has done so since... God created us. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but when, if you have the opportunity to travel um, and you're in a foreign country, it's happened to me a number of times when I turn up to a church and I walk through the doors 
and I meet other people that follow Jesus, I will have felt alone, disconnected, and all of a sudden, it is like meeting family. That's significant. Is that not like Adam in the garden with Eve? Oh, you're like me. I see something in you. I see God in you. Remember, Jesus has created a new humanity so that no matter where you roam in the world, when you come across someone else that follows Jesus, you are immediately connected. Your community begins there. You are marked with a seal by the Holy Spirit, as said in Ephesians. So you already live in community because God is giving you a part of who he is. So you're in community with the Trinity, but also with people. So whenever you see someone else who has Holy Spirit in them, you are immediately connected. Isn't that incredible? No matter where you go, you will find family. Hey, what that looks like, how they do worship, how they take communion, eh, that can change. Which is sometimes good for us to experience in a different way. But when it comes to it, you can arrive at a different church and you can be a part of their mission because it's the same mission whether you've got your feet in Australia or in India or in China or wherever else in the world. There's something so beautiful about that. And I love in Ephesians 3, Paul prays for us as the church. And there's something really key here. In the West, we read scripture very much through our own individualistic, individualistic eyes, understandably. And Ephesians is a great passage to understand your identity in Christ. And I encourage you to sit in it. I have done so, and it is powerful. But there's a line in the prayer in chapter 3, which is a beautiful prayer for the church. And it says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Friends, there are part of Jesus, parts of God that we will never encounter unless we're in community. It says together with all the Lord's people. We need one another to understand more of who he is. And we desire that. That's the greatest desire of our hearts. There are parts of Jesus that only you can tell me about because you've encountered him that way. And equally, I have that to offer you. There are parts of his love that we can only encounter when we're alongside one another and in service to each other. This is where forgiveness can happen. Reconciliation is pretty hard to reconcile with yourself. <laughs> I think that one through. Anyway, serve someone else, see breakthrough. We are designed to do this together. And there are parts of the kingdom we will only discover alongside one another. Okay, so we've looked at what unifies us. It's our response to him. It's our response to God. It's through him, coming to him, and living for him. But what does that mean practically? A vision series is all well and good, but we've got to live it out, right? And he's already doing it, so you, you know some of this. But I'd love to share just three different things, because we love threes. They're easy to remember. Consistency and commitment. This is why when people get married, they make a commitment, for better or worse, in sickness and health. There's a reason for that, and there's something really beautiful. It represents the relationship we are designed to have with God. It's meant to be a representation of that, not the end in itself, but a mirror of what it's like to be in relationship with God. We are designed to be people that are committed to others. If you're not married, you are still committed to those around you. That looks different. But what does it look like for us to be consistent and committed? Do you know, I, I am so thankful, and I've recently just been reflecting on, I have friends that I've known for 10 years, 
and they have journeyed with me through ups and downs. And recently I was sitting with one of my friends and uh, wrestling with the enemy, <sighs> talking to me about my worth. And one of the major lies, he's the father of lies, and he sends, tends to do things on repeat, but just uses like different forms to bring in these lies. Um, the one for me is loneliness, that I am alone. And he was kind of really hitting hard on that. And I remember sitting with this friend who I've been friends with for 10 years. And they said to me, hey, Britt, I just want you to know and remember that this is the lie that the enemy goes after for you. But this is not true. And I was like, oh my gosh, how profound to have someone who's been patient enough to be around for 10 years and say to me, it's not true, Britt. Five years on, Britt, it's still not true. 10 years on, remember Britt? He loves this one, but it's still not true. What a gift, consistency and commitment to walk alongside others and continually say to them, no, that's not of the kingdom. This is. This is who Jesus is. Let me point him back to you. Let me speak him out in a way that maybe you haven't seen him yet. I've met him there in that place, and I want to tell you that he will meet you there. We need people to consistently say these things to us, to speak the gospel to us. What does it look like for you to be committed and consistent? Again, culturally, fear of commitment not really consistent on anything, unless it's default debiting of Netflix. There's a reason the gospel makes us feel like we don't fit into this world. It's because we don't. Remember, community is a spiritual discipline. What does it look like for you to be committed? Committed to red? Committed to a community around you? Who are the people around you that you're like, I'm going to walk alongside you. I'm going to be a part of your life, and I'm going to help stand alongside you and bring you back to the truth. Who are those people? Okay, so we've got consistency and commitment. Second one, transparency and testimony. Whew. Ephesians 4, 25 to 27 says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Love reading it. Quite hard to do. Again, another story, I was in my first shared house um, in my early 20s and I remember sitting with a friend there and she just said to me one day, I hadn't had a lot of church community or followers of Jesus around me as a kid. I played basketball and kind of it took me out of that um, youth group and Friday nights and all those things. Anyway, so first time living with Christian friends and I can't even remember what I said, but basically it was a sarcastic remark to this friend of mine. And she said in this moment, hey, do you know, I don't really know why you do that, but it really hurts me. And I was like, what? <laughs> Equally like, ow. But also, oh my gosh, you love me enough to say that. We're about to live together. I'm not getting, I'm going to like run into you in the kitchen. We're going to be sitting in the lounge. And she loved me enough to be like, I see this in you. And actually, I don't, that's not of Jesus. And it's actually affecting me. And so I'm going to call it out in love. Hey, delivery could have been better, you know. But I felt profoundly loved because someone cared enough to say there is more of you. Like, there's, Jesus is in you. Live into that. And I did use sarcasm as a defense. And I felt upset of, like, how many other people have I hurt unknowingly because this is a defense I have? And it took someone to love me and say, hey, this is not of God, but I love you and I'm going to stick around anyway 
We need that. It's difficult. It was uncomfortable in the moment, but I'm so thankful. As I was thinking about particularly this section of transparency and testimony, I had this thought come, and I say this of myself as well as saying it to you. You know that phrase that when you come to church, you come dressed in your Sunday best? Yeah, I feel like it's an older saying. I think there's a new modern version of that, of what we do. If we're not living in humility, living out our faith faith honestly in community, it's not possible for the power of the gospel to be known. And I think our temptation is not to necessarily dress in our Sunday best. You're all looking great, by the way. But actually, our temptation is to arrive with our emotional and spiritual Sunday best. Oh, yeah, I'm fine. Everything's great. I've had a really good week. We arrive with a different outfit on, spiritually and emotionally sometimes. And you know what? It grieves me and the others around you because I can't offer you the gospel if you have no need of it. But the thing is, we actually all have a need because if you take off a few layers, let's be honest, in this room when we arrive, there are multiple things happening in our lives. So what would it look like when you arrive at church not to just be like, oh, yeah, I've had a great week, but actually go, do you know what? Actually, this week, I've had a real wrestle with my husband or had a falling out with a friend or, again, as happened to me this week, I arrived at work having had a really hard morning with the enemy in my ear telling me I'm not worth anything and I was in tears and I could have chosen to turn up to work and get on with my day because I'm a church worker and I work at a church and so I should be fine, right? And no, I turned up and I was like, Britt, you have an opportunity to be transparent. And you know what, I was embarrassed. And it's even a bit rough saying it here, (laughs) of believing that I don't have worth. The enemy had been relentless. And so I was in tears and I said to one of my colleagues, this is what's been going on. And do you know what they did? They looked me in the eye and lovingly said, that is not true because you are a daughter of the king. I needed to hear the gospel. And that's like it cut through and that the lie lost its strength. This cannot happen if we're not transparent with one another. And if we don't offer testimony of who he is back to the people before us that we love. And as I said, we've already been doing this. Soul care was like a fast track on this. Goodness me. If you attended, we were like a couple sessions in and then Rob Raymond split us off into groups of three and said, okay, now you're going to share your life story. Um, and that includes, you know, all the things that have happened to you and your wrestles and yeah, go with complete strangers. I don't know, like the room, obviously, it's like everyone was like, <gasps> But I cannot tell you the profound change the next day of the way that people were greeting one another. Because you know what happened? Someone listened to their story. I had the privilege of doing this. I sat alongside someone as they shared their heart. And do you know what? We'd been friends for ages, and there were parts of this person's story I'd never heard before. And we had journeyed through some really similar difficulties. And it was only in sharing and hearing that I could sit alongside her and I'd be like, I know that but I also know Jesus, and I'm going to pray for you in that. And in these moments in soul care, people sharing their story, 
and feeling shame and worrying about, like, how are you going to view me after this? What's this going to look like? And have the privilege of being someone who loves someone else and says, I love you just the same. And do you know what else is more important? Jesus loves you. How important it is for our stories to be heard and have someone to sit and listen and say, I am with you. That is what community is. And so, friends, we're already stepping into it, but there is more. What would it look like to turn up to church, to be more transparent and to testify of who he is to one another? We need it. Not just with a microphone and a sermon. In fact, it'll have greater impact when it's aligning with people's stories and you speak directly into it. Not to diminish this as well. You know what I'm saying. All right, final one. Prayer and participation. If we get to the end of Ephesians, we've done kind of like, we've gone right through it pretty quickly. But at the very end, Paul says to this church made up of all different people, he says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You have a duty, you are called to pray and intercede on behalf of the people in your community. And again, it's engaging in a spiritual reality that unites us. And I think we're also lost in the West here because we don't share our lives. Therefore, we don't get to share the celebrations. We don't get to share in the suffering and the mourning and the grieving. We also then find ourselves battling individually. We are not called to do that. But when you pray, when you invest and participate in someone else's life, you get to celebrate with them. You get to sit alongside them and mourn with them. It's almost as like in your prayer, you offer out your hand and say, I'm here with you and I want to hold it. That also is what makes community. So what does it look like for you to pray and participate in the community you're in here at Red, in other settings, in your family, friends, workplace? There are multiple communities that we live in. So I'm going to come to an end and just put out these last few challenges. We're also going to do something a bit different with communion this morning. I want to invite you, when you arrive at church, to consider what it looks like to pray for someone else. Again, I am guilty of this. Sometimes I arrive at church with a consumer mentality of, what am I going to get out of this Sunday? What word will I receive? How will I feel about the worship? What if we flip that and said, actually, I'm going to arrive today. I'm going to pray because I believe someone needs encouragement this morning. And God has something for someone else. Or I'm just going to sit alongside someone. Come to bless and serve the other, as we are called to. That is a representation of the church. Remembering that you're coming and it is by grace that you have saved, offering that gift to others, receiving it, reminding ourselves we need to keep coming back to Jesus. That's what unifies us. Living for him. What does it look like for you to participate alongside others and be united in your common goal towards seeing unity on heaven and on earth? Yes, that can be on a Sunday morning but there are so many other spaces and ways to do that alongside others. And that bears witness of who Jesus is out there, which is our call. And finally, coming and being honest and transparent with the people around you. Who are a few people that you can actually genuinely say, I'm wrestling, can you pray for me? Can you keep me accountable? I think I need to share this part of my story, will you listen? 
who are those people and how you be consistent and commit to showing up in that. <laughs>